I'm Pastor Dan. I'm the children's pastor here at Desert Springs. And uh, it's Independence Day. We get to celebrate. We get to have hamburgers and hot dogs and family times and fireworks and just really enjoy today. If you made a birthday cake for our country, how many candles would you put on it today? Two forty-five, two forty-five. Just making sure you're with me here today. I love interaction. Now, with that two forty-five, would that come from your math background, your history background? Yes. All right. Uh, how many of you remember celebrating our bicentennial? Remember that? All right. What year was that? Nineteen seventy-six. All right. Just seeing if you're with me. In 1976, I was a sophomore in high school, Moon Valley High School in North Phoenix. And today I'm inviting you to uh, join me in class. So I'll be the teacher. And as we begin the class, I like to begin and I ask, like, uh, who am I? So I'm going to give you a description of this Revolutionary War hero. And you see if you can figure out who it is. So, clue number one, this man was a, oh, by the way, if you know it, just shout it out, right? Just tell your neighbor, have fun with it. This man was a descendant of a distinguished New England family and became an American hero in the early part of the Revolutionary War. This man was wounded several times in battle and was promoted to the rank of Brigadier General. So now you've got a Revolutionary War hero, but he's been wounded and he's now a general. Okay? Some of you might have it already. Some of you have been in earlier services. Ha! Don't shout it if that is the case. Here we go. And here's really where it changes and turns and probably gives you more direction on who this is. This man grew to love luxury, lusted for glory, and was smitten by a young 18-year-old British woman. Come on. Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold, that is correct. In 1779, he began to sell information to the British. And in 1780, while in command of West Point in New York, secretly offered to surrender the fort to the British for 20,000 pounds. I know if you didn't get it on the third, you would have got it here. But also I added this. After being discovered, he escaped with his life, but had to live the rest of his life as the most despised name in American history. If you think of being a traitor, a turncoat, one that turned from what was right to what was wrong, in search of money, sex, or power, that's Benedict Arnold. Who am I? Benedict Arnold. And I use this example because as we go to the Psalms and we look at Psalm 78, we're going to look at Asaph encouraging us to follow the way of truth. But there's the real possibility of turning aside from that. And Benedict Arnold is a horrible example of that. And uh, 
I started thinking about Psalm 78 because of this. I was listening to a preacher, Jimmy Evans. He and his wife, Karen, lead a ministry in Texas called uh, Marriage Today. And they would often talk about the four greatest needs of men and the four greatest needs of women. And as the children's pastor, I then had to ask myself, what are the greatest needs of children? What are the greatest needs of children? And as I thought about that, number one, a nurturing environment for growth. Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So that's the idea of a greenhouse where they're protected and able to learn God's word and, and follow him. Nurturing environment for growth. Now this next part gets a little confusing, but hang with me. There's number one, and there's number three, and I'm giving you both of those. I'm not telling you yet what number two is. So number three is children need a spiritual foundation in Christ. That's probably what you thought of first. They need a foundation in Christ. Look at Deuteronomy chapters 4 through 6. But the second great, greatest need of children takes us to Psalm 78. And uh, we're going through a series, favorite psalms. Uh, we've heard from Psalm 1. Pastor Robbie, what psalm does he think is the best? Were you here last week? Psalm 37. You know, maybe your favorite is Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Maybe your favorite is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. My wife's favorite is Psalm 139. That God has made us and formed us in our mother's womb and we are special. That's her favorite psalm. Maybe your favorite is Psalm 150. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You would love to praise the Lord, and that's your favorite psalm. I think we probably all agree the most favorite psalm. What is it? Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I don't think there's any question of the greatest psalm of all time. But Psalm 78, as I began to look at what is the greatest needs of children, I began to look at Psalm 78. And it's a historical psalm. Most of the psalms you think of as poetry, worship, praise, and those are all true. But in Psalm 78, written by Asaph, this praise leader wants to give us a history lesson. So Asaph was appointed by King David. He led the singing for the tabernacle services, and he wrote this psalm. This psalm is also the second longest psalm in our Bible. The longest psalm, what was it? Psalm 119, very, very long psalm. My wife was reading Psalm 78 the other day, and she came out and she said, Dan, that is really a long psalm. So this is the second longest. So we're going to have to modify how we look at this just a little bit. So an outline for the psalm, from generation to generation, Trust and don't forget. Trust and don't forget. Verses 9 through 11, Ephraim forgot and failed God in the day of battle. 
And then the rest of the psalm, 61 verses, God's great works that Israel forgot. But the overall theme, don't let them forget. Let's say that together. Don't let them forget. Do you got it? Or have you already forgotten it? (laughs) Don't let them forget. So three simple parts, verses 1 through 8, an example, 9 through 11, and then more examples at the rest of the, the chapter, the rest of the psalm. So Psalm 78, verse 1, it begins, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So as I work with the kids, I would often say, Eyeballs? And you say, Click. Eyeballs? Uh, some of you are just... You, you, this side over here, how about eyeballs? And it's, give me your attention, focus. And that's really what Asaph is saying. Listen, lean in, get your ears to listening. This is really important. Listen, O my people, incline your ears. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. So who quotes this psalm in Matthew 13? Jesus quotes this psalm. He's talking, and he begins talking about the parable of the leaven. And he pulls right out of this psalm, and he says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I want to instruct you with an example from life. So he quotes verse 2. Verse 3, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. And here Asaph begins with, how do we learn? Well, we learn because our fathers told us, and then we learn, and then we share it with others as well. We've heard it, we've known it, our fathers told us that. Now as you look at verses 4 through 8, I didn't tell you yet what the second greatest need is of children, but verses 4 through 8 really explain what the second greatest need of children is, all right? So as we go through this section, think about how you would word it. Think about how you would put the second greatest need of children. Verse 4, we will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. So it's something that's open, something that's not secret, something that is to be shared. And what are we going to share? We're going to share about the Lord, the praises of the Lord, His strength. And his wondrous works that he has done. So, the Lord. We're going to talk about the Lord. Very, very important. Verse 5. God established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel. Certainly, we're going to share about God's law. How to have a relationship with God through the testimony. And then we get to verse number 6. That the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell to their children. Here, folks, the idea is pretty simple. My dad, Jack, Jack Drew Your, you pronounce my last name, Drew Your, she drew your picture, okay? (laughs) Jack Drew Your, he shares with me, I learn the truth, I share with my son, Ben, my son, Ben, shares with his son, Tim, and their families, and the truth is passed like a baton from one 
generation to the next, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born. So then we get to verse number seven, and verse number seven is a key verse, the key verse of the psalm, and it's trust, don't forget, and obey. It says that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Of course, we want our children to put their confidence in God. You know, as I think about when we first found out we were going to have children, um, what do you start doing? You start praying. (laughs) Lord, please let this child be born and be safe and healthy. Lord, please bring this child to a knowledge of your son just as soon as they understand. You want them to have that confidence in God. But not simply in the Old Testament sense of confidence in God and his deliverance, but really in the New Testament sense, we want them to hope, trust, have faith. And I've been using more and more the word believe. We want our children to believe in Jesus that He is the Son of God, that He gave His life for us, that He died and rose again. So we often pray, Lord, please bring my children to You just as soon as they can understand. So we want them to have that trust. We don't want them to forget. We want them to remember and follow after God, follow after Jesus, because we want their lives to be ones characterized by obedience So the change on the inside brings about change on the outside through their actions. Verse 7 is the key verse of the whole psalm. All right. Three greatest needs of children. Nurturing environment for growth. Spiritual foundation. What did you call the greatest needs of children from verses 4 through 8? I've called it this. The greatest need of children is a family identity, a family identity. And folks, who we are, what we believe, our faith, our actions, that's all under attack right now, big time. You know, and there's a lot of children really questioning who they are, young people questioning who they are. And this idea of identity and the change from a family identity to an individual identity is very natural, it's very normal. You look at your young people and as they grow, they begin to ask questions and they begin to form their own opinions. And they begin to challenge some of the things that mom and dad say. And they can either, you know, modify that family identity, they can turn from it as they develop their own identity. But folks, I wanted to show you this quote. Stone Street and Kunkel, in A Practical Guide to Culture, and they quote Rod Dreyer, Dreyer, And it says this, currently culture is shaping the next generation's understanding of our faith far more, far more than their faith is shaping their understanding of culture. Today's generations really has a lot of pressure on them to reverse those two. So it's not our family identity, our faith in Jesus and wanting to follow after him after we've believed That's not what is looking at our culture and trying to come up with answers. But our culture is pressing greatly upon our children to instill in them what our culture wants them to believe. 
And it really reminds us that, this is, verse 8 is a pivot in the psalm. It reminds us that our job as parents and instilling in them faith in God and following after God can, can lead to failure, right? We can fail as parents. Verse 8 says, And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. If we as parents do not share the things about God and instill in our children that family identity, they could become, this verse describes, as a stubborn and rebellious generation. Stubborn is the idea of obstinate. They're going to go their own way. They're not going to listen to what parents or uh, the church and the church family wants them to listen to. And they can become actually uh, rebellious. And this is to divide, defy authority. So it can be defying parental authority. It can be defying civil authority. But here in the psalm, it's mostly talking about defying God's authority. I'm not going to have confidence in God. I'm going to forget God. I'm not going to obey. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that is a very real danger. And then Asaph gives an example in Israel of the tribe of Ephraim. And it says, the sons of Ephraim were archers, well equipped with bows. Yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. And they forgot his deeds and his miracles that he had shown them. Now verses 9 through 11 really has two main possible you know, interpretations. We don't know of a, a specific example in Scripture where the Ephraimites, the tribe, you know, turned back and just gave up following God. But from 1 Samuel chapter 4, we do know that the ark of God was in Shiloh, and it was there to be protected by Israel, and Shiloh is in the tribe of Ephraim, their territory, so maybe this is an example or talking about the time when that ark of God should have been protected by the Ephraimites and they did not. They turned away and they let the ark of God be taken by the Philistines. It also could be a general example of the, the main tribe of Ephraim forgetting God's deeds and his miracles that he had shown them. They forget God's covenant and they turn away. So they disappointed God. They turned away from God. And then we have in the rest of the psalm, verses 12 through 72, many examples. And it's, I can almost see Asaph as he's teaching, as he's sharing. And in verse 12, he says, He wrought wonders before their fathers. I can almost see him leaning in and say, What? You forgot? You forgot what God did? Let me tell you what God did. These are the things that God did. And he begins to tell them all of the things of God up to that point that were major things that God had done for the Israelites. And he says, there is no way you can forget these things. Now we don't, we can't, <laughs> we're not 
going to study the rest of these 61 verses in the psalm, right? But I hope that this challenges you and that you spend a little time in Psalm 78, that you begin to study it yourself. And I really would like you to take out a, you know, some highlighters as you study this. And as you study, look for God's protection. Look for God's direction. Look for God's provision. And look for God's discipline. And use a highlighter to highlight those verses in, in one color each. And you'll see how almost the rest of the psalm all fit into these four categories. For example, look at verse 12. He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zon. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters stand up like a heap. Israel was going through the Red Sea. There was water on this side. There was water on this side. The Israelites went through. Pharaoh and his chariots were following right behind. Israel made it through. Pharaoh did not. How could you forget that? Verse 14, God's guidance. Then he led them with the cloud by day and all, not, and all the night with the light of fire. How clear is that? God gave his children direction. And then God provided. You know, as they went out into the wilderness, they needed water. So verse 15 and 16 talk about how God provides the water from the rock. They need more than water, they need food. So the people complained and then God provided manna. He provided manna. But that wasn't enough. They had the manna each and every day provided for them. All they had to do was go out and gather it. Except for the Sabbath day. So they complained. And then God provided the meat for them, for the birds. And the birds came and it says that they were not satisfied. They were discontent. They were greedy. They wanted more. It sounded a lot like America, never being satisfied with what God has provided, but wanting more. Look at verse 17, if you're there. It says, yet they still continued to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart, they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. Then they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock. Can he break bread also? Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? They always wanted something else. Therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath. And a fire was kindled against Jacob. And anger also mounted against Israel. Because they did not believe in God. And did not trust in his salvation. God's protection, guidance, provision. And then... God's discipline. And that's the part we don't want to think about. How God has to discipline us when we don't follow, when we do forget. And, uh, you know, as I thought about our ministries, how important it is to teach our children. As a dad, I loved having family devotions. It was a fun time for us. I tried to make it special once a week. We would have family devotions. If you need help with family devotions, I'd be happy to meet with you and share some of the things that we've learned. You also should hopefully be bringing your children here to church so that the uh, teachers that are here can confirm the things that you're teaching at home. 
so that they hear the stories about God and the things that God has done. Great time to be together. But folks, there were three words that I couldn't get out of my brain as I was preparing for today. Option, priority, and commitment. Option, priority, and commitment. Now, option, you have options. You might ask, should we go to church? Should we take our children? And that's a great option. But the word option is implying that there's many other options. But then I thought of the word priority. You know, is church a priority? Is bringing your kids to hear about God, is that a priority? Hopefully it is. And I'm not talking in a legalistic sense that if you, you know, miss that somehow your walk with God is damaged. I'm talking about in your heart, do you have the sense that ASAP is sharing Sharing with the next generation the truth about God. So there's options, there's priorities, and then there's commitment. My children never had to ask if we were going to church. (laughs) They knew we were going to church. It was a commitment that we had before God. We're going. And, uh, And they knew that. So not only did we share with the children in our families and at church, But you can really share with your families on your own as well. Asaph's challenge is really about telling stories. One of the greatest ways you can share with your families is telling stories. I tell stories all the time. Sometimes my children get tired of my stories because they've heard them again and again. But if we think about God's protection, I often tell the story about when uh, Angie and I were first married and Uh, We had already had Benjamin, my firstborn son, and we found out that we were expecting another child, praying for them, anticipating that new child. And we were living east of Brighton, Colorado, 18 miles from town, out in the country, out in the wheat fields, and my wife doubles over in pain in our mobile home, and I call our doctor, Dr. Susan Hamstra, and she says, bring her. Bring her right now to the hospital. Don't wait for an ambulance. You live too far away. Bring her right now. We suspect that she's having a tubal pregnancy, and she needs to be here. So our neighbor drove her van up. I picked up Angelina, put her in the van, and my neighbor, an older lady, Edith Smith, drove just much faster than I would have ever imagined to the hospital. 90 miles per hour down that 40, 45 mile per hour road. We got to the hospital, and as we got to the hospital, Brighton Community Center, uh, the surgeon met us in the street with a gurney ready for Angie. And they took her in, and they did surgery, and she was fine. So we thank, praise God for her protection. After the surgery, they did share with us, hey, with the tubal pregnancy, we had to remove some things. And it might be much more difficult for you to have children. You might not have any more. And the joke's really on them, because after that, we had a bunch more kids. So God protects, and God also directs. Share one more story. Just because, you know, God wants us to share the stories about the things that He has done. 
he helped Angelina. He helped get her to the hospital at just the right time so she could be saved, her life. And uh, God's direction, and I almost hate telling this story because it, it does not reflect well on myself. We were in Colorado, and I was the assistant, the assistant pastor at Community Baptist Church in Colorado. And our church went through a, a split. And our family was in the middle of many of the difficulties. And we decided as a family, following God's direction, that we should leave the church. And I resigned. Hardest message I've ever preached in my life. Guess what I preached on? Psalm 23. God leads us through difficult things. We resigned from the church and I began looking for another ministry. I spoke at several other churches. I spoke at a church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And then I spoke at a church in Juanita Lake, New York. And we found ourselves two weeks later in a difficult spot because both churches then contacted us and asked that we come and minister to them and that I be their pastor. So we met, we talked, we prayed, and we thought we can probably be effective at either one of these churches. And I gathered our family in our playroom, blue and white tile floor, and this is the stupid part. I said, family, we are going to take a coin and we are going to flip a coin to see where God wants us to go. I do not ever recommend doing that. We flipped a coin. The coin indicate go to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I got on the phone to call Juanita Lake and Gary Schweitzer. I called and I said, Gary, I think the Lord's leading us to Oshkosh. And I got off the phone and I looked at my wife. And what was on my face and what she saw in me and what I saw in her, I knew that that was exactly the wrong decision. So I immediately called uh, Juanita Lake back and I said, we're coming to New York. The, the foolish part was, folks, today we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us, indwelling us, guiding us, showing us what God wants. And we don't have to rely on lots or flipping a coin because God is spirit directs us. I can tell lots of stories of when God protected us, God directed us, and how God provided. But I want to give you an assignment. Your assignment is this afternoon, maybe when you're cooking burgers, maybe when you're watching fireworks, share a story about God. How God protected, how God directed how God provided, or if you're, really, if you're really challenged, you could share how God disciplined you in your own spiritual walk and something that he taught you that was very important. Because we do not want our children to forget, to put their confidence in God, to trust him, to believe in him, but to not forget and then to obey them, obey him with their lives. So what's your assignment? Share one of those stories about how God has protected, directed, provided, or disciplined.